I know that uh, all of us, we all struggle with grief. We, we all know grief far too well. That's why I look at these candles and I'm reminded that each one of them represents a person or two or people in our lives that we're thinking about and we wish that they were still here. There's, there's mourning, there's a lot of emotions that come over us. And when I think about the, when, we're, when we grieve, there, there's two dominant emotions that, that we really feel, and that's anger and sadness. Uh, we get angry, you know, why did this happen? You know, why, 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 you know, who's to blame? Why didn't God do something? And then there's an, an enormous weight of grief. Now what am I going to do? And how am I going to go on? And lots of tears. And with both of those emotions, it's interesting to me because we've, we feel them both and, and, and other things as well. But when, when you're with someone who's, who's processing and grieving and going through all that, like I'll attend a funeral or be with someone who's just lost a loved one and they're angry or they're you know, crying, lots of tears are coming. And then almost every time they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you know, for showing this or for, for feeling this way or for, you know, why, why is it? Where does that come from? You know, I wonder to myself, why is it that we feel guilty if we feel angry or sad when we're grieving? Here's a question for us to think about. How, how does Jesus respond to death? If it's our goal is to be more like Christ, well, what's his view on it? I want us to look at that in John chapter 11. If we look at the story of Jesus and Lazarus, Lazarus being a, a dear and close friend to Jesus. And he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. We talked about them a few weeks ago on Mother's Day, if you remember that. But in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick. He's not close by at the time. He's off teaching somewhere. But he, they sent a messenger. They sent word to him saying, hey, your friend Lazarus is really sick. And the reason they sent word to him was because they wanted him to come, come to see him. They, want, they knew that, hey, Jesus can heal him, and we need to get Jesus here. Otherwise, Lazarus is going to die. But Jesus does not go, at least not right away, and over the course of a few days, Lazarus does die. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 17. It says that when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. And Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can hear the pain in her voice. That's just raw emotion. I try to picture this moment in my mind. We, again, we talked about Martha just a few weeks ago on Mother's Day. She's the one that's always, always trying to stay busy. She's so distracted by the meal she's preparing. She misses the fact that Jesus is right there and teaching. You know, she's, she's always wondering, am I enough? Am I doing enough? She she's, seems to be much more comfortable in doing than just in being. And you can hear the grief and the anger in her words 
And then it's like she sort of catches herself. You know, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But she says, but, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. To me, that almost sounds like I'm sorry. I shouldn't be angry right now. And then Jesus told her, well, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day. That sounds like another funeral line that we tell each other. Well, you know, they're in heaven. We'll see him again. Yeah, that's true. We, we know it's true. But Jesus told her, he says, I am the resurrection and the, and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. You know, she is verbalizing her faith. I mean, she's saying out loud, yep, these are the things that I know. These are the things that I trust in and I believe, but I still hurt. You just, there's just a lot of pain there. And then it says that she went back and returned to Mary. Mary was still in the house, you know, hadn't come out. She went back and, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her that, you know, Jesus, the teacher is here and, He'd like to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. And Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, then she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here. My brother would not have died. Same words. The same pain, grief, and anger. How does Jesus respond to death? We're going to look at the next verse. Some of you, I, I think, you might be familiar with the story of Lazarus, and you kind of know where this is going, but, but I, I'm sure that some of you in here have never heard this next verse. Uh, you've never spent much time here. Maybe it's just one of those that you've read over and didn't really dwell on a little bit. But I believe it will absolutely it, it, it will change your perspective on how we process pain and how we relate to God in these moments. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and he saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. How does Jesus respond to death? You know, as Christians, our main goal in life is we want to be more like Jesus. We know that we can never be as perfect as he is, but he's, he's the goal, right? I mean, we keep him out in front of us. We're not, we shouldn't compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves only to Christ and say, how, you know, and hopefully that's our prayer. Every day, God, help, you know, help me to be more like your son. Make me to be more like your son. What was Jesus's Response, anger and grief. A deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. The original Greek, it actually means that he expressed a furious indignation. And he was deeply troubled. Several years ago, I, I was invited to go to a, uh, I was invited into a high school class. This class, uh, they were studying... Um, different religions and things of that nature. And so as a pastor, they'd invited me in just to kind of talk about my job, you know, answer questions. I wasn't there to 
you know, try to convert anybody or anything like that. Just, hey, this is, I'm a preacher and here's what I do. And some of the students would ask questions. And it was, it was, it was cool, you know, to meet some of the kids. But there was one girl, one teenage girl in particular, because the teacher had told everybody up front that, hey, listen, you know, this is Brandon and he's a pastor. And, you know, if, if you don't want to be here, if you want to leave, you, you're more than welcome to be excused. And, and uh, the teacher kind of told me that. There's one girl in here. She may leave. If she does, don't worry. But she's an atheist, and so she may not want to hear anything that you have to say. I said, well, that's, that's totally fine. No problem. And so I was talking, and, you know, just kind of a brief 10,000-foot overview of what I do, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and, and I can't even remember the question that was asked, but one student asked me a question about something. And... Uh, and it had to do with, with death and heaven. And, and I remember saying, you know, this is one of the things that, that I really believe is that from the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, death was never supposed to be a part of the equation. We, weren't, we, weren't, we, were, we were to be eternal beings. And, and, and that's why I believe that every time someone in your life that you love dies there's something inside you that just screams out that this isn't right it's like it's just it's hard to accept it's just like this is not the way that it's supposed to be and it feels like that every single time and I believe that's because it was never supposed to be like this and it's something in our soul recognizes that and anyway, I said that I remember the girl kind of put her head down she kind of started sobbing and she left the classroom and a little while later we'd wrapped up and she'd come back in and and uh, and I said to her I said you know I, I'm really sorry if I said something that upset you that was not my intention and she just says no no it, it's fine and she said you know I, I'm an atheist I don't believe in God but everything you just said about death is exactly right. It doesn't feel right. There's something wrong with it, and I don't know why. There's a uh, British theologian named Oz Guinness, written some incredible, uh, incredible books. He's got a lot of great quotes. But one, one book that he's written called The Dust of Death, and in it he writes, he says, Standing before the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus is outraged. Why? It's because evil is not normal. Evil is not normal. The world was created good and beautiful, but now he had entered his father's world that had become ruined and broken, and his reaction? He was furious. Jesus wept at the pain and the sorrow caused by the enemy invasion that had devastated his beautiful creation. And I, I love this line. He says, Christians are never admonished to accept death as a natural part of creation. That, that one stopped me in my tracks. I thought, man, he, that's exactly right. Nowhere in Scripture, and I mean nowhere in the Bible, does it say... That death is just a part of life, so get used to it. Nowhere in Scripture are we instructed to just accept it and say, too bad, that's the way it is, sorry. You know, grow up, put your big boy pants on because death is just a part. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. The Scripture says that death is the last enemy to be defeated. And that's why Jesus says, I'm, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
I'm the opposite of that. Death is, is a result of sin and, and the brokenness in our world. Jesus is angry and deeply troubled. And the next couple of verses, Jesus asks, he says, well, where have you put Lazarus? And they told him, Lord, come and see. And he went to the tomb. It says that then Jesus wept. So you see a lot of emotions there. He's angry because this was never the way it was supposed to be. He is heartbroken and he's sad because we were never meant to go through this kind of suffering. And it brings up a question that we have been asking since the moment that sin entered the world. Human beings have been asking this question from the very beginning when sin entered and death came as a result. Whenever there's a tragedy, like we've seen this last week, we see tragedy every day. There's, there's anger, there's grief, and then we just can't help it whether we are faithful followers of Christ or whether we're atheists or what, wherever we land on the spectrum. We all ask the same question, why did God let this happen? And if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, you're probably asking that question and, and, and confused. I'm trying to make sense of all this and I don't know what to do with it. I'm, I'm just honestly asking the question, why, why didn't God intervene? He could have, why didn't he? If you're an atheist, you might be asking it, like, see, that's, that's, here, here's more ammo in, in, in my gun to, to fire back and say, no, you see, you're wrong. Because God should have done something, shouldn't he have? We've been asking that question forever. Look at what people say at Lazarus' tomb. Verse 36, it says, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much Jesus loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? There it is. Why didn't he do something? And this is the tension that we all have to wrestle with. I know and I believe with all my heart that sometimes God intervenes. And sometimes God keeps tragedy from happening. I've heard stories of guns jamming and people going in for routine health checkups and they discover just by happenstance they discover a widow maker or an aneurysm that was just waiting to kill them and just because they happened to go in and they happened to search in this one place they found it and could correct it before it caused a problem I've heard stories of traffic delays that have kept people from getting to work where the building blew up that day uh, I've heard of sleeping through people sleeping through their alarm clock and missing the flight that when went down or being being in a horrific car crash and the car is just completely smashed around them but it's like they were just cocooned in like this little pocket of the car and, and just totally safe and survived it. Not to mention all the, the potential near misses and avoidances that you and I may never know about. I mean, I think even in our own church, we've seen that just a few weeks ago. With, we talked about Tanya Dekua shot eight times and yet she survives in his home and... and, and how, how, you know, we're so thankful to God for that, that he, he spared her life. And, and so I, I know and I believe with all my heart that God has his hand in those things. But I also recognize that just like in this story of Lazarus, tragedy takes place and for some reason, God allows it to unfold. Why? The honest answer to that, I have absolutely no idea. I can't say. But I believe that one day, one day it will make sense to us in heaven. And, and even if it doesn't, I believe that we will be so overwhelmed by the 
by the presence and the goodness and the glory of God that it won't matter. And, and you know why? It's because of what we just sang, that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In the story of Lazarus, we see all the emotions. Jesus is angry. He's angry as he stands at the tomb. He's weeping as he stands at the tomb. But we know in just a few verses, if you know the story, you know that he's going to say, hey, move the stone away from the tomb. And he stands there and he you know, shouts out in a loud voice, hey, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes back from the dead and walks out and he returns him to his family. It's a great passage. It shows us Jesus' power over death. But then I have to ask a question. Then Why did Jesus weep? I could see him being angry because this isn't the way it was supposed to be. But why, why did he cry? Why that emotion? If he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead in just a few moments, why, why was he so emotional? And what does that mean for us? I heard a quote this past week. I, I don't know who wrote it, but I thought this was spot on. It says that Jesus wept. He wept. He knew Lazarus was dead before he got the news, but still he wept. And he knew that Lazarus would be alive again in moments, but still he wept. He wept. He cried because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you can't cry at the sad parts. Just because you and I know that in the end we win. We do. It's true. We, we're, absolutely, we're absolutely in the right by saying, we're, well, at least we, we look forward to heaven. We're going to see him again in heaven, and that's going to be great. And it will be. But we recognize also that that does not negate the pain that we feel right now. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve in the meantime. This week, uh, Romans 12 has really been speaking to me. And it says this. It says that we should hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I read that and I think, well, how can we do that? How do I hate what's evil and cling to what's good? I hate the fact that death is a part of life. I hate the fact that our bodies get older and they don't work like they used to. And, you know, day by day, year by year, there are new aches, there are new pains, there are new organs that now aren't working and functioning the way that they're supposed to. I hate that. I hate that. I hate the fact that an 18-year-old kid who is definitely mentally unstable and possibly demon-possessed can walk into a gun store and purchase two semi-automatic weapons and over 300 rounds of ammunition and then go straight to an elementary school and live out some kind of a sick fantasy. I hate that. I hate all that. But how can you and I still cling to what is good in the middle of grief? How do we do that? I think the next few verses in Romans 12 tell us. It says that we, we have to rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in times of trouble. This is hard to do. It's not easy steps. It's not three easy steps. But we rejoice in our confident hope that God is still on the throne. We be patient in trouble and we keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. 
and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you, that, that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And here's a really important verse. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. I don't want to be on the receiving end of any of that. I'm thankful to know that we have a God that one day he promises that he will right every wrong and he will wipe every tear. Justice belongs to the Lord. And it, we can be assured it will be swift and complete. So in the meantime, we keep clinging to what is good. We rejoice in hope. We strive to be patient in trouble. And we keep on praying. So let's do that right now. Father, we come before you today and I'm, I'm grateful that you, that in, in the middle of, of our personal pain, that you are a God that is ever present. You, you know the trials that we have. You know the ways that we struggle and, and you know how we think and as we're, we struggle to try to process you Lord you, you are gracious and patient with us now help us God to to be able to do just as Romans 12 challenges us to do that we can rejoice in in the hope that we have help us to have joy in knowing that this life is not the end and that there's something so much greater that is ahead help us to find joy in that Help us, Lord, to be patient in times of trouble. And we, we, feel the, 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 we feel the weight of it. Help us, Lord, to just keep our eyes fixed on you and to continue to trust you. And, Lord, help us to keep praying, to keep seeking your face every day. May we never forget, may we never neglect uh, the relationship that we have with you. So, Lord, I pray for those that are here today, many of us that, this Memorial Day weekend, we're thinking of loved ones. We're thinking of those that have gone on before us. They've, and, and they're home now. We're not there yet. I just pray that you would just, just help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to sense and know that you're with us, that you haven't left us. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus and the, the confident hope that we have in him. May we rejoice in that. And I ask all this in his name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, and we'll see you next Sunday.